0: Good morning, this is Robin King and I am interviewing Chris Cummings, the founder and CEO of Pass It Down. It is the morning of November 6, 2018 at 11.14 a.m. and we're going to start our interview. Hi, Chris. Hello,
1: how's it going?
0: Good. Um, although I got a lot of answers from your website regarding Pass It Down and why you started this platform. I thought for the sake of this interview and the class, I would re-ask a few questions. Is that all right? Absolutely. Okay. So before we dive deep into my questions, would you mind telling us a little about your company in the award-winning storytelling platform, Pass It Down?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Pass It Down is a, uh, a digital storytelling platform that we uh, license to cities, um, libraries, museums, to create a way to collect and organize and showcase all of their stories and content and archives and then to be able to display that on any device, whether it's a phone, a tablet, and a computer for web presence, or to be able to deploy that across um, any touch screen uh, where we can create interactive exhibits and experiences for our clients.
0: Thank you. And when did you have the idea to start your storytelling platform, and when did it come to fruition? Um, sure.
1: Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt.
0: Oh, there was just another part to that question, but as soon as you finish that, I'll I'll ask that one. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, so, um, you know, we've
1: we've since expanded and and pivoted to focus on what we're doing now. It wasn't where our roots lie, though. Uh, The the original uh, mission behind Taxa Down was very focused on families and family story preservation. We wanted to put a a digital biographer in everyone's pocket. Um, The reason we wanted to do so is that my, my mom had done sick. My mom, Barbara, who's since passed away, had uh, multiple sclerosis and then she developed um, early onset dementia in her forties. Um, I was my mom's power of attorney and caregiver until she passed away. And uh, I remember during that process of navigating, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, assisted living, nursing homes, and all that jazz, um, really wanting to be able to record my mom's life and her stories because I knew I was running out of time and she was running out of time. Um, and uh, I was struck by how expensive biographers were. So, so the original mission was to take that expertise, those questions, and to be able to guide any family uh, through the process of recording their family memories uh, with an application um, on everyone's
0: phone. I'm so sorry to hear about your mom. And is I, I see on your website that you also have something called greeting story. Is that something that is um, before Pass It Down or – um, after Pass It Down? Uh, that's something after Pass It
1: Down. What we, uh, what we realized as we were, we were helping on the family storytelling front is that there were a lot of families that were coming to us saying, we, we love what you do, but, you know, I've got a, a grandfather in hospice who's 92 or a grandmother who's 89, and um, they just don't feel uh, comfortable or don't, with technology and they don't trust it. Is there any way you could, you could help us? And uh, what we also found was that there are a lot of people who have uh, memory books, kind of like baby books and you know, books you give to your, your parents or your grandparents, but no one ever finishes them because they feel like a lot of work. Uh, so greeting story, we took um, our guided question sets and we broke this down into greeting cards. Because so greeting cards are something that are very familiar to everyone, uh, particularly to older generations.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we created a project where you could – uh, record a loved one's memory through a series of greeting cards you would give to uh, to a grandparent.
0: That's a great idea.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a ton of fun.
0: <laughs> and you're getting a, a lot of positive feedback, I'm sure.
1: We are particularly in uh, senior living communities. Um, they're a great. Um, they're also a great way to create like a conversation starter and community engagement.
0: Fantastic. Now, when you started your storytelling platform, did you work alone or collaborate with any other partners?
1: Yeah, so when we started it, I built a, a team of technologists. I built a, another technology company before this. So um, when it comes to building a company, team is everything. Um, so built a team of uh, developers and, and other, uh, you know, other team members to start really trying to understand the market um also we you know we're a big believer in doing market research um you know one of my favorite books on on building a company is called the startup owner's manual and one of the prime rules is uh spend more time outside of your office talking to your customers than inside of it and so we we knew that we needed to to really get a lot of feedback and so um, we i remember walking into the T. Harry Williams Oral History Center at LSU in Baton Rouge, meeting this uh, awesome, awesome professional named Jennifer Kramer, who runs the oral history center, and uh, and you know she she really taught us and has been phenomenal teaching uh, the methodology behind oral history and um, the best practices and what existed in technology and what didn't exist.
0: May I ask what that that book you mentioned is again?
1: It's called the Startup Owner's Manual. Oh.
0: Thank you. That sounds very interesting. I'd like to read that. It is. It's
1: it's a gigantic textbook, but you won't find a better book on building a company.
0: (laughs) Thank you for warning me as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I have seen a couple other competing projects out on the Internet, such as StoryCorps or Urban Memory Project. Now, what makes Pass It Down stand out from those others?
1: Sure. You know, I think, you know, first and foremost, let me say with StoryCorps, I, I have a huge appreciation for StoryCorps. I think that they are really responsible for getting everyday people to think about history and stories again and uh, to to make it something that people would you know, listen to you while driving. I think that, um, you know, before, you know, they really started doing their work, um, it was something that was being forgotten. So um, I wouldn't even necessarily say that they're a competitor. I think StoryCorps' approach is to to look at stories at the level of person-to-person stories, um, whereas we are coming in and really diving in specifically to creating uh, archive platforms and digital collections platforms that highlight either a specific place, like a city, or a specific project within an archive. Um, And also, you know, just being able to expand upon uh, a number of of technology features that we find interesting um, that that our competitors don't offer. So I think it's not only enough to be able to organize an archive, uh, but it's how can you bring those stories to life? And so we really think through doing that in a number of ways. So, like any of our stories can be pinned on a, an interactive map of the world that you can explore. Um, you can explore any of our stories through a timeline. So you can see every story by year or decade. And it's not kind of your boring standard enter the year, but it's a big, beautiful photo experience that you scroll through. And we we really believe that experience matters. And then um, with Urban Memory Project, it's again I think that we're, we're we both believe in the value of local history and local history's potential to bring community together and to create engagement. Um, We're just really focused on the tech platform side of that and creating a plug and play solution for any community in the world.
0: And and I completely agree with that as well. That's a very standalone item as opposed to your your platform. Um, Sure. Skipping down to one of the alternative questions, as you just mentioned about the story map, I'm a personal fan of that story map. I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we are, do, too.
0: Are there some users' uh, favorite features of your platform? Or what, you what know, are- I-
1: I, I think the map and the timeline are, are by far the most engaging experiences that we see. Um, you know, we've, we've created new um, exhibit and kiosk modes. So when you're deploying our platform on a touchscreen, we, we reformat the the experience to be designed for that. Um, and, and I think that, you know, what we've seen is uh, incredible amount of engagement. You know, we launched a new museum for the communities of Lake Forest and Lake Luff about three weeks ago. And, uh, you know, it was the coolest thing in the world to see five-year-olds and 85-year-olds all interacting and exploring uh, an archive and the history and the stories of, the, of this museum. Um, and and the, just to see the smiles on their faces, I, you know, that's, that's what we were really passionate about.
0: The smiles on their faces—I love that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and the and the other thing I think interesting too that we are big believers in is that digital collections should be able to evolve and feature different parts of the collection based on what's going on in the calendar to create engagement. And, and so, like, what I mean by that is, like, if it's Women's History Month, um, it should be possible for a museum to be able to search in their collections and then feature, you know, any content that would fit within that topic. And, and so it's a constantly evolving platform focused on engagement based on what's going on in the world. And, uh, and that's really what we're focused on building is, this, is, is the ability not only to, to collect and organize, but really to showcase, and when we think showcase, showcase what's most relevant, when it's most relevant, so that people find something of value.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a great idea. And do you find that most of the platforms are doing that? As you mentioned, Women's History Month, can, can that be done?
1: Yes. So, yeah, that's – and it's I think it's part of our role, too, to not only be a technology company, but to help our customers and our clients map out a journey for success. Um, you know, we're very fortunate that I think that we are pushing new ideas into this industry that people haven't really thought about before. And whenever you're doing something really new, sometimes you're going to see some resistance. Um, mm-hmm. But we've we've been fortunate enough that I think people really do think that we're, you know, we're kind of leading the way on, like, how to make these experiences more interactive and more engaging um, for the public. And, and that's something we're very, very passionate about.
0: I love it. Um one question from my classmate that I feel like goes right in with the last question is Sure. Let's play devil's advocate. Convince me I love why Devil's Advocate, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Convince me why this commercial platform is better than an open source alternative like Omeka. Do they ha- do they offer or do you offer a Spanish version or any other language?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. I mean I think there's always going to be um a place for open source software. And we're a big believer in it because we know that, you know, budgets based on the size of an organization can change frequently. Um, And I I think it really just comes down to what is the experience that you're looking to create. Um, and, And we really focus on, on a couple of things. I think with a commercial platform, the reason we like building commercial platforms is that every client makes that experience better. Every client improves the product and helps it iterate and helps us to move faster and to create new and interactive experiences. And, um, you know, a commercial company will always be able to move faster and to grow quicker and to do new things uh, more so than an open source software will be able to. So I'm not here saying don't, uh, we don't believe in open source. Um, I just think it's a difference of what is the experience that you want to create. Um, with that being said, I mean, we're a very, very new company. You know, we just pivoted to start licensing our technology um, in February uh, uh, no, January of this year. And with that, um, since that pivot, I mean, we've had requests for our software now in over uh, nine countries. And so part of our roadmap is developing the ability to support multiple languages along with about a million other things on our roadmap. And so uh, those are all things that are coming. They're not necessarily things that are there yet, but they will be, you know, very soon.
0: Oh, that's that's exciting news. Yes, because this particular classmate lives in Panama, and she says sure. that um, most, most people don't have laptops. They can't afford them, that everything is mobile. Right. Um, so this would be a big deal to have because I know Pass it Down does have a great mobile um, capability and that, yes, of course, their, langu- their first language is Spanish. So that's why she's looking for that.
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and you know, I think that the, the coolest thing about this industry and, you know, from our perspective, what we love about, what we're doing is we really think we have an opportunity to be a part of saving the world's history and to to not just be a company that works in one country, but to truly be a global company and to, to to do different things all around the world. And I think that's, you know, that's an amazing thing, um, to, to, to be a part of. And I think our whole team's excited by it. So, uh, there's a lot of work to do, uh, but we're, but we're getting there. And, um, and, and again, I think that for us what we care about is creating engagement for our clients. And I think design is at the heart of engagement. And uh, we really pride ourselves on on having the best design of any museum software in the world.
0: So that that's a good segue into our more our questions more about the heart of pass it down. So can you tell us a little about the experience design of Pass It Down, its ease of use, navigation? And as I think you just answered the question, um, is it continuously updated with user feedback?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the best technology is one that's iterated based on customer feedback. And so I think the interesting thing about museum technology technology is it's um, truly a B to, B to c uh, technology versus a B2B. B. And I think that that's, us seeing that is different than a lot of the technology in the industry. And what I mean by that is I think that a lot of the technology in the industry uh, was, was designed solely to be very good at organizing an archive or a collection, but it was never designed with the idea of making those collections publicly available or creating it so that it would be engaging to the public. And, um, I think the, you know, there are a couple of goals when it comes to collections and archives, you know, one is preservation. Um, but I also, I think we fundamentally believe what's the point of preservation if no one ever gets to experience it or engage with it or learn from it. Uh, it's not merely enough to be able to save, uh, history and collections, but it's also about being able to share it in ways that, that bring people in. And so, what we're trying to do is to marry those two principles together with um, creating the ability to preserve uh, information fully, but first and foremost, also creating a, a, a platform that that creates these interactive and engaging experiences for the public. And I think that the technology that, that we all use every day, Facebook and Twitters and Instagram, have all... Uh, up the bar in people's expectation of what good design is in regards to media, and uh, and I don't think that you know the the vast majority of museum software has caught up to that concept or really thought about that, and so we really focus on on creating those experiences that match up with people's expectations today, and so. Um, our belief, again, is spend more time outside of our office than in it. We do a uh, incredible amount of user testing, um, both with the our clients the directly, like the administrators or the curators, who are responsible for uploading and organizing using our technology, but also testing with the public to see how they react to different designs. And, you know, our I couldn't tell you the amount of changes and tweaks we've made because that happens on a daily basis and so we also try to to do that from like a quanti- qualifying uh quantity perspective like looking at data quantitative uh, but we also just listen and say like how did this make you feel what did you like what did you not like and then we build our designs based on that or tweak our designs
0: absolutely and The next question falls into things you've already just mentioned, Um, as my classmates and I are new to web projects, we are eager to hear from experts like yourself who work with technology in the field. And when developing Pass It Down, did you perform uh, formative evaluations, conduct interviews, create user personas and stories? And what did you learn from these findings?
1: Yeah, all of the above. I mean, I think, you know, first and foremost, we, we started looking to have a, a number of advisors that were experts uh, on the technical side of the field. So experts on oral history, experts in the museum space, experts in the library space. And we just really listened. Um, I think the key is to ask a lot of questions and to say, you know, what is the technology you're using? What does it do that you like? What does it not do? What, where are the gaps? And sometimes you see things that they don't, so it's it's listening and then saying, "Well, what if this is possible?" and then presenting something maybe they hadn't thought of um, you know in terms of user personas it's you know that's broken down again into two different two very distinct groups. one is our clients that are licensing the technology and understanding them and their needs, and then the other user persona are the, the public who will be who is your audience who will be experiencing that um and, and what type of ways will they be experiencing that and then and then testing once you understand that user persona um you know that's little things like i mean that could be if you're looking at doing truly like intergenerational design design for people of all ages um there's a number of things that are important little things like the font you choose the size of the font the icon you choose Um, the colors you choose, those are all considerations in regards to how you you lay out the technology.
0: Did you create a minimal viable product at MVP?
1: We did. I mean, I think it's interesting, right, because we pivoted from our our original MVP, which was focused on family storytelling, and... um, and we, we pivoted when, uh, so American Librarian of the Year, Corinne Hill, who's the director of the Chattanooga Public Library, uh, walked into our office last year and said, um, you know, what if we could use your, your storytelling platform to bring the entire city of Chattanooga's history and stories to life? And, and, you know, she was the one that really painted that picture in our mind of what was possible. And, uh, and so, you know, that we put our heads down together and really worked side-by-side side with with Corinne and the Chattanooga Public Library to to take our technology and pivot to be able to solve those needs and to to create and launch a platform that would do just that. So um, I guess you could call that an, a an MVP. But on the other hand, I think that the the roots of that technology have already been pretty well established. Um, you know, over the last couple of years before that and. Sometimes you build something by accident that solves a a problem, and uh, we were fortunate that that really had already kind of taken place. But there was a lot of of, of pivots and tweaks to get there and the technology to solve those needs.
0: So I believe you just answered one of my other questions. I said, we're learning that technology should not be used in a museum just to say they incorporate technology, but that it should solve a problem. So uh, what problem does the storytelling platform solve?
1: A number of things. Um, I think that a lot of museums have limited footprints, and um, and it's very important how they design and use the space that they have. And so our platform, since we can deploy on, on, you know, let's say like a 60-inch touchscreen in a museum, uh, is an efficient way to use space that can allow you to create interactive ways to showcase tens of thousands of stories, and it also – Allows you to continually um, create new experiences so that people don't feel like they've been through a museum once and it's stale. Since you can change what you're featuring, based for example on the counter like we talked about earlier, you can you can have different experiences every month within your museum, and you can do it simply with a few clicks on your keyboard, and you don't have to call anyone. You know, uh, it, it's all running through our platform, and uh, and we push new features. So I think that. Um, Those are a couple of things that we're we're really passionate about. We also really believe that museums need to turn their visitors into participants. And so by taking people through an experience of of your archive or collection, but then also allowing them to submit or record their own story, uh, if they have one about the museum or the experience or the topic, it allows them to become a part of that and form a bond between the museum and themselves. And we're very, we think that's really critical as well. Um, And also, I mean, uh, there are a lot of, uh, there's some change going on where, I mean, up until really the last couple of years, a lot of people wanted to keep their archive behind a, a locked vault. They didn't want, you know, information to be publicly accessible, or even if it was publicly accessible, the experience was so awful that there wasn't going to be any engagement with it. So we're really focused on more than anything, those, you know, those words uh, in community engagement, visitor engagement, I think that's really, really important for museums uh, to create sustainability.
0: Absolutely. And I'll jump to, since we're on this topic right now. um, So as a platform for participatory projects, um, what challenges do cultural institutions face when implementing them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that to – I think there's a mistake in all technology, which is build it and they will come. Yeah. Um, I, and <laughs> I that you know, so often people believe that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not a marketing company. It's not what we do. But we do have a lot of experience in knowing – and and helping organizations to think through how they market and create participation. So, um, you know, I I think we're very open with our clients to say like, you know, if you're licensing our technology, it's great. We'll create a very interactive and beautiful experience you've never had before. But if you want people to be able to participate, you're going to have to lead and do a lot in regards to marketing. Um, And so, I mean, there's a number of things. So like one of the cool things that we've, we've really helped do for several clients is we've created toolkits and guides for them to plug their platform into the local school systems. And, uh, and that's really cool because in most local school systems, for example, local history uh, has been ripped out of the classroom. Or if you're a museum, you know, today kids don't take the amount of field trips like I did when I was a kid. Um, And so if you want to be able to, to bring what you're doing into the classroom, you have to make it really easy for teachers. And so, You know, we help them design toolkits and guides for teachers. And so now what will be happening, you know, in the spring of next year is that, uh, you know, kids eighth grade and up will be using the platform to interview a parent or a grandparent to record their story directly into the archive. The the child gets to learn digital media skills, and it's great marketing for the project. And uh, and it's also guaranteeing participation within the platform, which we think is important. and then the other component of it is I think that creating – people are so addicted to their phones and, and not necessarily meaningful content that we're a big believer in the value of touchscreens and interactive exhibits because if you can create things that are interactive, you can pull people out of this technology that we're so addicted to. Uh, and so we really you know encourage our clients to think through how they can create these interactive installations um, because it really does draw people to want to participate.
0: That's amazing. Could you tell me a little bit more about um, what's launching next year, that eighth graders up are going to be interviewing loved ones?
1: Yeah. So um, for a, a couple of the, the communities that we're working with, um, I, I don't know if I'm legally allowed to disclose this yet or not, uh, okay. na- names, so um the, the, the all the schools in those counties will be given essentially an online toolkit and guide so that we're replacing that exercise they do of go interview a parent or a grandparent and write a paper with go interview a parent or a grandparent digitally using this platform and they can record that interview and video, audio, text, or photo and then submit that story to the, the, that, that community's uh, archive plus our platform. Um, and so it's a way of creating you know, massive amounts of participation while also teaching you know, kids digital media skills, which are incredibly important today, and just creating interaction.
0: That's amazing. Now, did your company come up with that, or was that from meeting with outside users?
1: We, we came up with that. Okay. Well, great job. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I, I won't take all the credit for it. I mean, I'm sure at some point it came up as well, but I mean, we really like to think through what are the groups that are in need of activities that are meaningful that relate to this type of technology. You know, the, the, the opposite or another group, Uh, that we think really has a need for this is senior living communities um, on the same side of things. And they're in desperate need of meaningful activities. And um, you know, our communities since they're the ones licensing the technology are then able to make this available to these senior senior living communities um, at little to no cost. And, you know, our elders are the ones that usually have some of the world's best stories about wherever they're from.
0: Yes, I was about to say, um, usually the biggest block I've seen as a curator is the technology. But if you make it an intergenerational design, make it easier, the stories you'll be saving excites me. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. So as a story platform... Oh, do you see your story platform as a way for museums to share their authority with users and have you found any museums having issues with letting go of that control? I feel like we've talked about that a little already.
1: No, I would say we're actually empowering the museums to have control they haven't had before because the technology is so easy to use and it allows them to feature and highlight whatever stories they have that they want to showcase. Um, I think our our belief is that uh archives and, and and collections should be a all-encompassing tool from both the back end and the front end that allows them to have one system that they can use to efficiently uh collect organize and share everything about what they do and whatever the topic is that the museum is based on um so I, I think it's the opposite. We're, we're making it their lives easier instead of
0: harder. That's, you're the first person to say that. And I really like how you put that. <laughs> <laughs> um, because as you were saying, you know, a lot of museums, you know, up until a few years ago, keep their archives behind a vault and key. Um, they do. Yeah. So, and and I know that very well myself. So making this, easier and empowering the museums I think is huge I think that makes it a lot easier for them to make it a participatory opportunity um absolutely they sure do love their control so I do know that (laughs) (laughs) um so the first cultural institution you worked with did you say that was Chattanooga
1: it would be yeah it'd be the uh the Chattanooga Public Library and Which, what, with, in that project, kind of evolved to to be representative of, like, the city of Chattanooga. And there's about 15 uh, public-private partnerships that are all part of that project.
0: Wow. And what was the type of helpful feedback um, that approved their user experience?
1: Um, you know, I, again, it, it goes down to doing a, a lot of interviews, um, looking through, you know, the, the collections that they had and thinking through like the, the thematics of like what those collections represented or represented and, um, and how to best show that. And, uh, and then, um, you know, like doing, for example, community events. So events where we had, uh, kind of an opening session around the history of Chattanooga and how, we were very concerned that the history of Chattanooga was being lost and it wasn't being preserved. And we gave people an opportunity to come and interact with two different exhibits that were set up and um, had about a hundred plus, 200 plus people in the door um, to all kind of have these, uh, to, to have a chance to see and learn. So Chattanooga is interesting too, because about six or seven years ago, the city, uh, our group raised about $10 million, to build a local history center, and that history center never opened, and so those archives have been sitting, gathering dust, for about five years. And I think that's a that's a terrible waste.
0: Yes. So I'm, I'm glad they glad they found you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Me too.
0: Now these um these archives that were sitting and gathering dust. Now, did they have to do their own separate like digitization process? Um, before, you know, getting these online? Um, do you find that people are, you know, just starting to do, di- you know, digitization projects slowly to incorporate them online through your platform? Like how, how do you – that's a big problem in museums is getting the money to even get right. them online. How do you – Yeah,
1: do pl- it's, it's, it's interesting. So a lot of their content is already digitized. Uh, but there's a, a lot that's not, right? And every time they want to digitize something else, they need to raise the funds to do that digitization of it. Um, I think that there are a lot of companies that are really, really good at digitization. So that's not something that we do. We don't want to recreate the wheel. We just want to be really good on the digital side. Um, but, but you know, that, that is uh, obviously an issue for, for libraries and for museums is when they have a, a number of physical... Uh, media that they need to 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 digitize. Um, our goal is to to kind of come in when they're, they're ready to they they've done that step to to have a, a place to hold that.
0: Gotcha. Now, I believe again. I'm glad we keep going back to a lot of the things you've already said. So we've read a lot of articles in class regarding web and digital projects and their poor marketing efforts. Um, right. So do you think most cultural institutions using pass it down are successfully promoting it enough, and um what could they do to make sure more patrons know it exists and that they should contribute?
1: yeah, absolutely so I mean like I think when it comes to marketing, the number one rule is consistency and uh, and and that's the same when it comes to like marketing on social media is having someone whose focus is day in day out and promoting. Uh, what you do, and, and having a consistent message. So we really try to, to help our clients think through that. Um, little things, too, like you know, simply putting up an Instagram post isn't enough. You need to be using about 30 hashtags and so strategically think through what those hashtags are so you can have reach and, and get people to 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 find your content. And also, it's um, it's also important, I think, to track uh, data. Like, how long is someone on your, on your museum's website? What are they looking at? What are they not looking at or bouncing by? And I, I don't think, you know, that's something that a lot of companies are doing or that even a lot of museums know to ask. And so there's a lot of education that's there. But I think that uh, we'll continue to see people becoming increasingly aware and more educated around these topics into the future.
0: I agree. Absolutely. And you, we had um, previously mentioned that you have just launched um, a new museum interactive at the Lake Forest Lake Bluff Historical Society powered by your platform. Now, how, how did that go?
1: It went really well. I mean, it was uh, several hundred people. There was nothing like seeing, you know, a guy of was 85, 86 that, you know, was exploring, you know, every screen for 10 to 20 minutes. Uh, I mean, and, and just seeing how people interacted with it. We've seen their engagement and the number of visitors skyrocket for them and people keep coming back. And, um, you know, we, we, we couldn't be happier.
0: Oh, it's it's so good to hear that people are, more people are coming through their doors to see this interactive and use it.
1: Yeah, an, an incredible number more. Yes,
0: that's an, that's amazing. I love to hear that. <laughs> um, I think
1: I, I think really and truly, people today want to be wowed. I mean, I it goes back to our belief is that people are so addicted to their technology and their phones that it's really important to create experiences that are that are larger than that that pull them out and uh, and not only for them to interact with it. What we saw was that people would gather around a screen and they would all just start talking, talking about what they see talking about, Oh, I remember this. I remember when this happened. And it was seeing those conversations among uh, multiple museum visitors that didn't know each other, but found a way to connect that we found really inspiring.
0: That is incredibly inspirational. That's what you want in a museum for them to have conversations. That's amazing. Um, And I believe you've already mentioned, um, you know, one of your upcoming projects with the school system, but what other um, projects are you excited for um, in the future, if you can talk about them?
1: Right. Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to think of what I'm allowed to talk about and what I'm not. (laughs) Um, So there's about six other projects we have coming down the pipeline that I'll be able to share, you know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, but I I don't think we're allowed to share them yet. Um, But multiple... Uh, multiple historic locations, uh, multiple cities. Uh, we've done some projects with some of the world's largest brands uh, on their side in terms of their history and their legacy. Uh, we, 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 I, I can't say who, uh, but a number of different unique projects that we're working on.
0: Fantastic. Um, and just two more questions. Um, sure. First, what are you looking forward to for the future for your company?
1: Uh, there's so much. Let me try and think through what I, what I want to choose. Um, I, yeah, I think the best thing about what we do is we get to learn a little bit about everywhere, about every client's story, their history, whether it's a a topic or it's a, a museum and whatever they're focused on, like our team loves that, you know, getting to, to, to learn. Um, But in terms of, like, what we're excited about for the future, I think expanding our reach globally is something that we're very passionate about. Um, I think where we see ourselves is that, you know, there's a lot of talk in the museum space about AR and VR, and we do find that exciting, but we really view ourselves as laying the foundation uh, for 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 collections within a museum and recreating what those collections are, and we want to continue to expand how to make it more interactive to interview and gather stories from your visitors to make them participants. And uh, we have some exciting things planned that we've already designed. We just have to build uh, to be able to make that possible. Okay.
0: Um, my apologies. I know that I have one last question, but this is more of a Personal preference, one. So I personally, having done the Peace Corps, um, have seen third world country museums be incredibly neglected due to yeah. money. Um, I'm not sure if in the future. Um, just keep in mind that there are museums out there that you know don't have people like yourself to save their stories. Um, and and I'm just I'm a, that's one of my end goals in life is to help particularly the. National Museum in Niger um, wow. you know, preserve their items, you know, if it's through um, digital platforms or not. Um,
1: so I absolutely, I hope... yeah, sorry, absolutely. No, like that's you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a um, that in itself is something that we see too. Uh, we also think that disaster archives is a is something we're very passionate about. Um, we, we really care about moving the speed of being able to move quickly. And, you know, we want to be able to say like, if a, a natural disaster happens and you need to document, you know, people's stories around that experience and what, what what occurred, uh, we want to be able to spin up a new solution to solve the problem and to do that in less than 30 seconds. And, And that's where we're headed.
0: Fantastic. I'm so glad you're moving in that direction. So completely last question. Sure. <laughs> do, you have, do you have any tips or advice for our class of budding museum professionals interested in creating web projects?
1: I think you know for yeah. If there's if there's one advice I would give, it's to ask who is your audience for for your museum. You know who who do you care about reaching, and what what are their expectations um, in regards to design, in regards to what they want to hear and to and to build that experience based around them um because ultimately that's how you get them to come back and to really have a powerful experience uh that and listen but always trust your gut that's that's kind of a a, a big role to us
0: yeah because it you know we're we're learning you know it's a, it's a two-way street that you want to give them what they want but what if they don't even know what they want <laughs> right yeah
1: absolutely
0: so, well, Chris, thank you so much for participating in this interview for me and my classmates at Johns Hopkins University. It has oh. been a complete pleasure on my end.
1: Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, in, in anyone that wants to reach out to me, uh, my email is chris at passitdown.com. We really appreciate the opportunity for this interview. And um, I, I think the, the work that you and your classmates do is incre- incredibly important and um uh, I, I think it's great that it's what you do.
0: Thank you, and I and I believe one of my classmates has already reached out to you or plans to. She has. Get... She
1: she has already reached out. Absolutely.
0: Fantastic. So already you're on our radar. We think you're you're pla-
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well. Thank you again, Chris, and I hope you have a wonderful day. We really appreciate it.
1: You too. Thanks, Robin. All
0: right. Bye.
1: Bye.